to the podcast, Jesus Has Left the Building, where we talk with people all over the nation, leading creative, outside the box, I mean, outside the church building, ministries that inspire and engage us. And we talk with people about why they have decided to create new and transforming ministries, especially during times such as these. This is the Jesus Has Left the Building podcast where ministers, writers, activists, and church leaders have left the building too, with Marta and Mandy. Today's episode, called Hashtag Peace is Disruptive, features Sarah Jackson and Hannah Martin. Sarah is the executive director of Casa de Paz, and Hannah coordinates the team and trains volunteers for the Accompaniment and Sanctuary Coalition of Colorado Springs. Using the third chapter of Who Will Be a Witness as Guide, we talk about the supremacist captivity of the church and disruptive peace. We are excited to share the stories of Hannah and Sarah and their work with the immigrant community. Welcome, I'm Marta Fioriti. I am the pastor of Black Forest Community Church. And I am Mandy, her partner in ministry and director of worship and arts. And we are your hosts today. We're coming to you via Zoom this time because we've had some COVID contact and we want to be extra careful to stop the spread of this virus. Neither of us um, have a confirmed diagnosis, but we just want to be extra careful since um, we have had some exposure. Today, we're really excited to be joined by Sarah Jackson and Hannah Martin. We'll hear from them in just a minute, but first, listen to our scripture passage for today. This is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 9. We encourage you to read the entire Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount which begins in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. This is verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Hart says on page 97 that Jesus is calling us to a different way of responding to violence in the world. Before we move forward, I want to define supremacy and to talk a little bit about what we mean by violence. Supremacy can be a loaded word. Supremacy is practiced by Christians or non-Christians in all of the ways of organizing life around the lie of racial hierarchy so that white people in the U.S., especially men, dominate and control society. Our culture of supremacy creates everything, policy, ritual, customs, law, even our Christian liturgies are wrapped in white supremacy. Until we can recognize how Christianity is complicit with this culture, the church will continue to be kept captive. You can read more about what Dr. Hart says on page 129 of the book. Who will be a witness. And when we talk about violence, what we mean by this is the violence of hate, the violence of allowing others to be treated unfairly through discrimination, biases, prejudices, race, sexuality, religion. In, dis- in response to this chapter on the church being captive by supremacy, we thought asking Hannah and Sarah to talk about the hard and complicated work that they do with the immigrant community would be really important to this discussion. We wanted them to tell their story that happens both inside the church building and often alongside of the church. So here are a couple of stories that relate to the idea of supremacy. An interesting example actually happened this week um, here at the church. We had opened up our um, little shop, Heaven on Earth, secondhand shop, uh, where we are providing essential household items, um, warm winter coats and things for the kitchen and baby stuff. And a family came in last Saturday and it was two moms and 
um, two little children um, from El Salvador. And they walked in and they were super tentative. And we were like, um, take what you can, give what you can, um, take what you want, give what you can. Um, and they were still a little tentative. And then our volunteer started to speak the little bit of Spanish that that she knew and they had a conversation. And one of the things that they said was um, that often when they walk into spaces like this, they are not welcomed um, because of the way they look or because of the language they speak, um, because they don't know um, English very well. And that is a, um, that is a sign that our culture is um, putting out that they are supreme and that they're a supremacy and that they are not good enough. Um, and so like we did not, uh, we did not say that, but it's something that they automatically inherently felt. And so right. of course the volunteer said, you are welcome here and we are so glad you're here and we want to be able to work together to unfold God's kingdom. And she didn't say it quite in that way, but that's what I am saying about it because uh, that's what I just happened to um, experience between that interaction. Don't you think that just um, by speaking, just by communicating with those folks in that space and Sue being able to speak in their language, it does actually communicate that they are part of the kingdom, whether you say those words or not, right? Absolutely. Um, and boy, those little children had a great time picking mm -hmm. out some super fun toys. And so it was just a delightful morning. Drew Hart in his book also tells a personal story and um, of when he was in college and they had to go to chapel and they had to rack up cha chapel points, right? And so at this particular chapel, um, Jesuit priest John Deere was speaking um, and he is an activist and peacemaker and he was speaking really um, intense and passionate words about the way he uh he knows jesus from the gospels and um the, the whole chapel was filled with all kinds of people and he spoke of these beatitudes and he put an emphasis on jesus as peacemaker and how jesus was responsive to the violence of the world um, Hart had not experienced hearing about Jesus in quite this way in his church, church of his upbringing. He got a whole bunch of other really great messages from his churches of his upbringing, but this was not quite the theological stance that he had gotten um, from his black church. Um, that Jesus challenges us toward the way of peace and this way is more disruptive to our mainstream supremacist Christian church. Deere began to talk about things that most of us Americans really are uncomfortable with, like war and nuclear weapons and nonviolence and power and privilege and even monarchy, because he took the Jesus of the scriptures and he connected to it to what is going on in the world right now. And just as that moment, as Deer started to talk about those really uncomfortable things, um, Drew Hart started to lean forward in deep interest and, um, and sort of like engagement, like, oh my gosh, this is exciting and amazing. And at that exact same time, when Drew Hart was leaning forward, droves of white students began to walk out. It was deeply uncomfortable for them to hear of a Jesus in this way. And um, in that moment, it was disruptive peace and it was too controversial. It was definitely not the Jesus that they were comfortable with or what they might characterize as, quote, and I'm doing air quotes right now, normal Christianity. Right. So our episode today is called hashtag peace is disruptive. Peace cannot prevail 
when we refuse to accept that our world is drenched in this white American Christian supremacy. In Drew's example that Marta shared, these white folks started bailing out of the church, we have to recognize that it was their white privilege that gave them the permission to bail. They were uncomfortable and they left because they didn't actually have to address those issues of white supremacy and Christian supremacy. Drew asks these questions. How should our church relate to our nation? In what way does faith that articulates a God and country allegiance distort and misdirect us from faithfully following Jesus? I know that when I begin to ask these questions of my faith and my faith community, myself and my faith community, things get disrupted. When we make a way for peace, we have to confront the ways that our world must change. For those of us with white American Christian privilege, our worlds will be disrupted as we make room for peace. When we walk into a shop, the shopkeeper's welcome might not come in English. When we hear challenges from our preachers, we might have to listen and sit still and lean in instead of walking away from those challenging words. Peace will come only when we renounce the supremacy of our world. And that means huge disruption. But imagine the peace that awaits on the other side of that disruption. And today, I can't wait for you guys to hear the conversation between Sarah and Hannah because they are really doing that work yeah. of bringing people in to spaces and uh, deepening relationships that um, build bridges. Right. Um, it, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. So this week, um, as always, we have our faith ritual, our faith practice that we're inviting you to do at the end of this um, episode today. This time you are actually not going to need anything, no materials, um, but we'll give you a heads up at the end. So stay tuned so that you can hear about what your uh, faith practice is for this week. Welcome, Hannah and Sarah. We are so excited to have you on our podcast um, and have this conversation with you. Both of you are doing really amazing work in the world, especially with the immigrant community in Colorado. And we really think that you are connecting into this idea of disruptive peace. Um, one of the things that we're hoping to do is to inspire our church and other churches to do this work that might not fit perfectly into this white colonial American Christianity that's so often inspired by power and by empire. Our podcast, as you know, is called Jesus Has Left the Building. And we know that both of you have also left the building and left the comforts of that white colonial Christianity. Um, we really think that your work has the potential to reimagine what lies on the other side of that disruption um, that, that the beginnings of building peace can bring. So we're super excited to hear from you. I want you first to each, in sort of your own words, tell about um, your work um, for Hannah in Colorado Springs and for Sarah in Denver and what you're doing and what is awesome about it, what is inspirational, what do you want people to know, and specifically um, how it connects to this idea of um, the supremacist church and the church being captive in this time and place. Um, I know that one of my big things with these, this, these podcasts this fall is really hearing from people to inspire our other churches. And so um, go for it, Hannah. All right. My name is Hannah Martin, and I am the director of Ask Colorado Springs, which stands for Accompaniment and Sanctuary Coalition. 
Um, we focus solely on supporting the immigrant community here in the Southern Colorado region. Um, we kind of started branching off. We used to be just the Colorado Springs Sanctuary Coalition um, right after Trump came to administration um, where there was the fear of deportation. Um, so this idea of sanctuary from the 80s where we could house those who may be facing deportation, whether that's an individual or a family as a whole, um, that they would be um, able to seek sanctuary, be safe in a church and um, be protected from being sent to um, the country of their origin, whether they remember being there um, or hadn't been there since they were um, young. Um, and so that's kind of how we started um, almost four years ago. And we started to see that there was this space in between housing our guests. We saw that the Seeking Sanctuary from our community here in Colorado Springs was not as large as in other locations around the nation. And so we really started to try and fill in those gaps. And so we sat down with um, organizations who work with the immigrant community. We sat down with the community itself and asked, what do you do to support our neighbors? What are you not doing? What are you asked to do, but you can't do? You know, if you're a government operated or funded organization, how are your hands tied to be able to support people who may not have documentation? Um, and we really saw that there was a huge need um, that fell um, in line with just everyday life that had nothing to do with the court system, um, nothing with or anything like that, um, or the um, line to citizenship. Um, and so we just supported, uh, started supporting um, immigrants in our neighborhood. Um, we kind of look at it as providing a cup of sugar. Um, so we just know that we have a neighbor and if I ever need something, I can go to my neighbor and ask for help. If they ever need anything to know that I'm here and they can ask for help. And so we see it as a mutual responsibility to take care of each other. And we feel like um, the immigrant community here is very marginalized, especially in the culture that we already have in Colorado Springs. Um, being heavily evangelical, heavily military, um, you know, and very much has turned this into a political agenda instead of humanitarian issue. Um, and so we really try to, uh, we strive to support the immigrants by providing um, rent or mortgage, um, utilities and food assistance financially. Um, we also connect them to resources. Um, if they don't know where safe to go, if they're undocumented and they need to find a place to get health care, um, we can provide them with those resources on where to safely go. If they need transportation, we provide that interpretation or translation, we provide that as well. Um, basically, we try to offer to anybody who needs help. We, it may not be in our, in our little box, but if we can't help you, we'll find exactly who can. Um, so that's mostly what we do here in Colorado Springs. Well, I love that idea of a cup of sugar because it is yeah. such a, well, it is such a simple phrase and um, it just crosses all, all of our bridges. Like all of us like need that. All of us need to go to a neighbor and say, hey, I need a cup of sugar. So it really grounds us in um, our common humanity that uh, is really awesome. Um, I was sort of listening to you say some things, um, and I think this will bridge really great to Sarah um, and talking about the work she is doing um, in that, uh, how immigration has become so difficult in, in this particular, particular era. It has been so hard in these recent years that it wasn't um, quite that way 30 or 40 years ago. And I think Sarah speaks of that a little bit in her book that we'll talk about in a minute. But um, this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart, as you all know, and in this work. And so um, I think it's super awesome and can't wait to hear a little bit more about that, um, Hannah, in a little bit. So Sarah, tell us about you. My name is Sarah. I am the executive director of Casa de Paz. That means House of Peace. And we are located about 15 minutes away from the ICE Immigrant Detention Center in Denver, Colorado. So currently, right now, there are hundreds of immigrants uh, who are either asylum seekers who have just recently crossed the border asking for asylum in the United States or documented immigrants that have been arrested by Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Maybe there was a raid at their work, maybe a neighbor tipped them off. For whatever reason, they ended up on ICE's radar and they were detained. 
Um, so it's a prison for immigrants, not for a crime that they've committed or anything like that. It's simply a holding place for immigrants to be detained in as they are waiting their day in court in front of their immigration judge who makes the determining factor or decision. Can they stay or must they be deported to their country of origin? So at Casa de Paz, what we do is we provide hospitality for the immigrants who have been released from the detention center, the immigrants who are still locked up in detention, and as well as families of detained immigrants. And so what that looks like is, let's say somebody wins their asylum case today and they're released, which is great. Um, they may not have friends or family in Denver or in Colorado. Their family, their friends, their sponsors may be in Texas or California or New York. And what we do is we come alongside them and we welcome them to the United States. We give them a big welcome to the USA, uh, including even cards that we have made uh, that show, show them that they, they're welcome here and they belong here um, and, and that this can be their home if they would like it to be. Uh, and then we just help them make a plan to get to their final destination. So we look for plane tickets or bus tickets and then we also have just basic stuff that we all need, right? Like clothing and toiletries and food and a backpack to carry all your stuff. And then we'll, the final step is um, to make sure that they get to their bus or to their plane on time. Sometimes folks need to spend the night and that's when we welcome them to our home, Casa de Paz. Uh, other times folks have a same day air, uh, air flight ticket or a bus ticket and then they're, they're um, waving goodbye to the volunteer who accompanied them. And then we also have a pen pal program. It used to be a visitation program, but because of COVID, ICE has suspended all in-person visits at the detention center. And so, you know, when Jesus said, when I was in prison and you visited me, I think that's a little bit hard to complicate or to misinterpret. Like we really believe, <laughs> like visit people when they're in prison. So we do, we spend time with people who are locked up in these ICE detention centers. Sometimes um, that's like I mentioned, in person, but now we can't because we're just not allowed, we don't have access mm -hmm. into the detention center. So now we're, we're pen pals with folks who are in detention as well as making video calls or phone calls if the detention um, center um, allows for it for that day. So um, to date, we've been open eight years and we've hosted over 3,000 guests from 77 countries from all over the world at Casa de Paz. And I think it's a testament to what can happen when you think a little bit creatively about something that can be done to make somebody's life a little bit better when they come to the country that you just happen to have been born in or live in. Mm -hmm. Not rocket science, very basic, simple stuff. Well, you also wrote this book, The House That um, Love Built, and that- Oh, this um, one? Yeah. <laughs> So great. I, I mean, I like seriously loved it. And I think um, the stories are so rich and I know that and so deep and so interesting and so inspiring that there's no way that I think we're going to be able to capture that on our on our podcast. Um, and I think both of you in different ways um, have provided this radical hospitality um, for families. Um, and I know you can say all the things like we're providing them a bed and a house and a, you know, a, a temporary place to be until they get settled or, you know, the, the resource like Hannah, the resources that they need in this town. And we can say all of that. And theoretically, that sounds great. Like, great check. We've done this thing. But I think, um, particularly what comes up in this book that Sarah wrote are these, um, really deep and emotional stories of um, people's lives. And um, I don't know, there's, the point is, is that A, read the book or um, B, have relationships with um, Sarah and Hannah because their work is really important. And I think um, what people don't understand, um, and I don't know, Sarah, if you can talk about this just a little bit, I know we're going off script a bit, Mandy, but um, a little bit about like, you said somewhere in the book, um, and you know, Hannah um, alluded to this a tad also, um, I just want people to understand that um, 
that, you know, 40 years ago when people came into this country, um, they simply went somewhere and it was a public service to just get their paperwork. And while their paperwork is processing, they can go ahead and live their lives. And, um, and that is not what's happening now. And so I don't know if you can speak a little bit to that and, and somehow connect that with, um, with the church. And what is, where has the church's responsibility been with that and or not? And what that kind of all looks like. Like Hannah mentioned earlier, we firmly believe that we do have a responsibility towards our fellow, fellow, you know, human being, um, and what, wherever they came from and however they came, whether they came with papers or they didn't come with papers. My grandmother was actually born in Poland and during the Holocaust, the Nazis invaded Poland and she fled for her life and ended up in France. And had it not been for the ability to flee and resettle somewhere, my grandmother would have been killed and I wouldn't be here today, probably, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think we can all realize, or a lot of us can realize that there is a story somewhere in our family's lineage where our family left somewhere and started somewhere else started over somewhere else for whatever reason, because they wanted to, because they had to. Well, I don't know your personal stories, but for mine, it was because they had to. And I think we can understand and, and maybe tap into a little bit of our personal connection to immigration, that it doesn't seem like us versus them. It's like, wait a second, you know, that's, that's my family story too. And I'm grateful that my grandmother had a home to stay in in France and that she had folks come alongside her and recognize her for the dig you know for the worth that she she who she was just because she's created in the image of God right Not because of anything she's done or what she hasn't done but that we all are worthy of the same kind of love and kindness that we we want shown to ourselves our neighbors mm -hmm. are worthy of that as well Mm -hmm. um, and we also, as a country, as a government, have created some really dangerous conditions in some countries that folks are fleeing. We have a direct responsibility to, or we have a direct influence on why some folks are fleeing their home countries because of our government's policies. Mm -hmm. So when they then flee the unstable conditions that our government has had a hand in creating, turning our back on them seems completely hypocritical and like not a very cool thing to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Especially mm -hmm. if we try to follow the words of Jesus, to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I think um, that, that idea of, um, you know, the, the title of the chapter is the supremacist captivity of the church. And it's really, um, it's not just white supremacy, although that is a huge part of it, right? But it's white supremacy, it's American supremacy, it's Christi Christian supremacy. It's this idea that we are, um, you know, it's the mythical norm that Audre Lorde talks about that um, is this, this perfect white straight um, American well-off man, right? Mm -hmm. That, um, that we're trying to protect and save. Um, and obviously that causes intense damage to everyone who does not fit into that category. Mm -hmm. And you are both doing this work to help try and reverse some of that. Um, so in the opening of this chapter, um, Drew Hart gives two stories. One of them we, we told at the beginning of this episode of the podcast of um, being in these chapel services and having these experiences um, where um, white folks um, hear some stories that are challenging of the way that um, white folks have behaved in the church. And um, in both encounters, um, he's sitting, you know, as a black man sitting in these chapel services, and he says he's leaning in, and he's like, 
you know, I, I like as he's telling these stories, I can feel him being so um, compelled by what uh, um, they're talking about. Um, these presenters in the chapel services and while he is leaning in um simultaneously there are these white folks just failing they're just walking out the first in the first mm -hmm. story it's like kind of dramatic because there are a lot of them and they literally mm -hmm. just leave the space so in these two chapel services um these white folks were um able to just walk out of the room when things got hard and as drew found himself leaning in he says that he watched um these white folks just bail out um to just because they were just uncomfortable from, right and and you know they had the ability to do that because as white folks we don't have to face these challenging things in that um in the way that um some of our black and brown and indigenous friends do. Um, so I'm wondering if there is an experience that you have had in your work that um, that is similar to these stories that Drew tells in his book that kind of underscores this problem of supremacy within um, our world and within the church. I think that one comment that I hear a lot at CASA from folks in the community or sometimes volunteers, right, or people who just happen to hear about what we're doing and they're curious, um, they'll say something like, well, I'm all for immigration as long as they come the legal way. And I mean, I, under, I appreciate the honesty and I appreciate the willingness to have that conversation because I'd much rather somebody ask a question like that than be completely apathetic and not care at all. And also, at the end of the day, if there is someone who cannot stay in their home because it's too dangerous and they have to leave and they come to the United States for safety, then we do we as followers of Jesus, do we have any other option other than to welcome them in? Do mm -hmm. we? Right. right. Jesus says to love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. That's the number one most important thing we can do. But the second commandment is to love our neighbor as ourselves. And I don't know about y'all, but I will do anything it takes to make sure that I'm okay. <laughs> and my family is okay. And so if we do that for ourselves, then we've got to take the words of Jesus serious, that we also have to do that for our neighbor. Undocumented. Amen documented right like there's no option it's not you know you you fed me because I was documented you clothed me because I applied and came the legal way it's like no you mm -hmm. fed me you clothed me you were with me right like mm -hmm. I don't right, know and so just the go ahead just the idea of the legal way is is part of that supremacist captivity right mm -hmm. that there that that we have created this these rules that we the the people who control and have power have created this these rules and you have to follow our rules in order to do the thing and get the thing right um and that is not the message that jesus is is giving us that is not how um jesus wanted us to set up our country thank you very much wow. And the rules were created by people who had the ability to follow them, right? right. Like it, it worked, it worked for them and their story and their culture and their way, but it, it doesn't always translate for whatever reason. Right. I mean, yeah, what about Jesus fled, Jesus fled, Mary and Joseph took him and fled. Yeah, and yeah. if we're trying to model our life after him, then shouldn't we also see migrants who are migrating across the world as people who are uh, brave and courageous and do what it takes to protect their family? I actually, I wasn't planning on showing this, but since, since we were talking about this, this is one of my favorite nativity uh, oh, cards. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's just yeah. beautiful. Will you describe that image for those who are just listening to the podcast? A migrant family. There's a father in a an orange shirt and a mother in a um, black t-shirt. They're both wearing jeans, and the mother is holding 
a little child and they're carrying some bags and it's very clear that they are traversing the dark countryside and there's moon that's shining light on their face and you can see that there are three halos um, and for me, I interpret this as the holy family. You know, it's some interesting because in Drew's, this chapter, one of the things that, um, why he was leaning forward in that chapel service and what was so compelling about John Deere, who's a Jesuit um, priest, so compelling about what he was saying um, was that he was bringing like all the world issues into the gospel. And um, I think especially that is what that, image does for me it brings our world issues right now into the gospel hannah yeah so i mean definitely as sarah said i can't tell you how often i've heard from um conversations you know about the legality of how people come and making sure that they're standing in that correct line and you know that we're we are totally negating the humanity and the situations um that these people are facing that human beings are facing every day and because we are so far removed from those experiences we can't even fathom this idea of empathy um to be able to come in a place of compassion and like what sarah said to welcome um and going off of this idea that you know something that sticks out to me the most in the gospels is when uh is palm sunday you know something that i really was never taught or really understood myself was that was the same day that he fashioned a whip and mm -hmm. turned over and that's also the same day that when he went into these the temple and when he questioned these leaders saying this is the way that we do it as a church and this is also how we do it as a nation you know mm -hmm. Jesus came in and he questioned and disrupted all of it mm -hmm. and who showed up mm -hmm. who showed up when he did that the people who never felt safe mm -hmm. all of a sudden the people who were disabled, the people who were outcast, those who were sick, the children, women started flocking into the temple when he, this was disruptful peace. Mm -hmm. He came in, he was able to fashion the whip, he was able to say enough. And mm -hmm. once he said enough, he created courage by his action to be able to say, I am not okay with this. This is mm -hmm. not who I am. This is not what my father meant. You know, mm -hmm. this has been interpreted completely outside um, to fit whatever makes me feel comfortable and whatever mm -hmm. makes me feel better myself. Um, you know, he said, he said enough. And um, that's when he was able to give the courage and the, com the compassion, he had the compassion to be able to show people who never felt welcome to finally feel mm -hmm. okay with entering those doors mm -hmm. um, they had never felt before. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that is my daily example for what I need to try and be is see that um, sometimes peace is noisy. Um, and sometimes, um, you know, we have to be a little bit more out loud with our welcome. And um, like Sarah said, you know, Jesus himself had to leave when things were tough. And what choice do we have when Jesus says to love our neighbors? What does that mean? Mm -hmm. We we really like to overcomplicate things. As a church, we really like to overcomplicate it. We like to make it political. We, we mm -hmm. like to shut the conversation down because it's not fitting into what mm -hmm. I am and what I am interpreting, this doesn't fit in. So it makes it really hard for us to listen and to really understand where someone else might mm -hmm. be coming from. Um, and it seems that it is just this deeply rooted, almost an innate idea that um, I am better. I am, mm -hmm. I am better and I am right because God is on my side. This idea mm -hmm. that that's on my side. Anyone who's different from me means God is not on their side. Mm -hmm. And Drew Hart even mentioned this in this chapter about, you know, all the way back to Constantine and again with um, Columbus and, and, you know, everybody in between that, where we started to alter what the theology was of our church to start mm -hmm. fitting the nation because mm -hmm. it right. helped us gain money mm -hmm. and gain power. Mm -hmm. And we started to put empire and this idolatry of putting empire before mm -hmm. The work and the life of Jesus and that's where I think we get lost and that's where I see us getting lost often is uh, in this Christian supremacy where mm -hmm. I I was given the gift like I didn't get to choose where I was born I was born white and I was born in the United States so I have I'm supposed to be here but if somebody mm -hmm. wasn't 
here and somebody wasn't born that looks like me, well, that's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't question anything outside of that. We like to either overcomplicate mm -hmm. these conversations or we like to make ourselves excuses. Mm -hmm. And there's exemptions to what fits in um, on who we can help and how we can help. Like Sarah said, if you've done this, if you check these boxes, right. you know, then I can support you. Um, and that's really what we come to, especially with immigration being such a huge issue. And it has, it's become so political that um, so often in these conversations, um, the humanity is removed. Right. I think that you made this perfect um, image that I think we just really want to hone in on with um, Jesus in the temple was when he said, you are doing what our state is doing. You are behaving, you are running um, our religious institution like our state is. And I think um, whether on purpose or by accident or whether it's been like that for so long that we don't know how to undo it, that is exactly what's happening in our faith communities today is that they are mimicking um, the way our nation and state are running things and it is lacking the human humanitarian piece of it and the radical hospitality of it. And we it is, it is held captive, essentially. Um, so right. I think you really got to that really well, Hannah. Um, and we're, we're so we're so focused on the empire that we're forgetting mm -hmm. who's outside the doors who don't feel welcome in right you know we've right. completely forgotten about the people that Jesus specifically did this for you know this act that he had was on purpose and mm -hmm. it was to he always reached out to the marginalized and so why wouldn't we follow suit mm -hmm. why why wouldn't mm -hmm. we ask that's what Jesus did. So why am I not doing that? What else, mm -hmm. what else are we supposed to do? Like what Sarah said. So this is the last question. Um, Mandy and I have an interest in reforming, reforming the church. And so that's partly why we're asking people like you to come on. You guys are doing this amazing work. What really deeply concrete practice um, would you offer the church to do that might inspire them, transform them, energize them, that we can offer the world today? One practice that I just recently started was writing folks who are in the ICE detention centers. Mm -hmm. And every time I open up a letter from someone that I'm working with, I recognize that as a sacred, sacred time. And that those letters on that piece of paper are sacred letters. And that, I mean, even the, our, our, our biblical scripture is full of, or may, maybe not biblical scripture, but um, our faith tradition is full of martyrs who died because of their faith. And I cannot tell you how many people I know that are sitting in these ICE detention centers that are being persecuted for their faith. And they tell you these stories in the letters. And sometimes I almost think to myself, like I'm holding, I mean, I know that this is going to maybe be a little controversial. Great. I love it. I love you it. Know, Go for it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm holding a piece of scripture in my hand, you know, mm -hmm. maybe in five, 10, 15, 20, 30, a hundred, 300, a thousand years from now, people are going to read these letters mm. and they're going to either have their hope in humanity restored or destroyed. And we can make that choice right now, whether we want to set a legacy of these letters being something that we look back on, we say, we saw this atrocity and we, we made sure that they were protected, right? We don't, I don't want to look back on it and think, oh shoot, like here was somebody writing me and telling me, uh, you know, their story and, and, and about their lives and I just ignored them, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's a very practical thing that all of us can do. You don't mm -hmm. have to speak a second language. You can speak English. <laughs> there are folks who speak English in these immigrant detention centers. Um, and yeah, that's one practice that I've started just. Yeah, that's awesome. COVID, yeah. Because people. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that we have discovered is that COVID has, um, as, as hard as it has been and heartbreaking as it has been, it has created these little moments of like, pushing us to do these things we may not have done before. And we're so grateful for, for these little insights. Yeah, I think in 
in COVID and just with immigration and everything that's um, been going on the last few years and um, the fear of what's to come, um, intentionality has been huge. Um, I feel like COVID has kind of just created intentionality so much wider in like neon <laughs> print and it just follows you wherever you go. Um, and so I guess I have just been very intentional. I've, my daily ritual has just been to try and be thoughtful with everything. Um, when I'm thinking about the program or what we're doing as a congregation to think who is, what does this look like to this group? What would it look like to this group? Is this opening our doors to everyone? Is it keeping our doors closed for some? Um, you know, is this one act, could this look like something different than, you know, is this going to mm -hmm. impact in a different way than our intent? Mm -hmm. And so um, just trying to be very well-rounded and intentional on whenever I'm speaking to a client or when I'm having a conversation with someone who may not agree with me about immigration, I'm just being able to have the intentionality to listen. Um, I'm very quick. Um, people who know me know that I'm very quick to like have my points made and I'm a talker and I love to chat and keep on going. Um, so being able to try and listen and to understand, to gain empathy, um, and just make sure that every act, every word, that there's intentionality there, that um, I understand that whoever I'm supporting, this is their whole life. Mm -hmm. Like this is literally mm -hmm. or death that we are dealing with. And it may not feel like that in the moment when I'm just helping someone figure out how to take the bus from their apartment to the store and back with their three kids. You know, it might not feel so impactful. It may not feel like a life or death situation, um, but you're telling someone that you see them that they're valuable, that they belong, and um, that's what anyone would want to feel. And we've heard a lot from our, especially our Latinx community, that a lot of times they will not enter a space when the door's closed. You know, just not even a metaphorical, just a physical. If the door is closed at a church, that means you don't go in. Mm. If the door is open, it means, okay, I can go in. And it's been a culture change for a lot of them who have come here, especially in Colorado, where it's a colder state, you know, and so a lot of the time our doors are closed. And so I just, you know, rounding out that idea of Jesus opening the doors of the temple for the marginalized, that we make sure that um, whether we're being disruptive, whether we are using our voice, whether we are being peaceful, whether we are offering a cup of sugar, whether we are opening up a bed, taking somebody to an airport, connecting them with their loved ones, um, no matter what we're doing, being intentional that our doors are open and making sure that they're open to everyone. I love the doors open ritual and the writing sacred text ritual through letters and also so um, the, yeah, and the intentional question asking within faith communities. Um, like I can even think of it, you know, having three or four of those questions, the same ones coming up at every every time there is a gathering, every time there's a meeting, mm -hmm. every time there's a board meeting, you just continually ask those questions. Every single time the mission and vision are brought up, you ask those questions to see if it's still in line. So um, I love, 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 love those practices and love what you guys are doing so much. Yeah. Um, it is just like, it is the heartwarming work that I just want to spread and spread and spread. So in um, this chapter, Drew uses the word mangled. We like this word because it's full of imagery. Mangled means something disfigured, but it's not actually broken. It's bent or damaged. He writes about our mangled American history in relation to our mangled political imagination, in relationship to our mangled religious culture, especially in this country, but goes all the way back to Constantine. He talks about the church being held captive and he really is inviting us to practice something else. The member this week, the church member this week that was practicing radical hospitality in our shop was Sue Garrett. 
She was the volunteer that welcomed the family to heaven and on earth earlier this week. She spoke their language and said, this place is your place. For some, it may have been a form of disruptive peace, perhaps uncomfortable for those um, that are not in as much need, but it opens the door to a new world of welcome and relationship. So the ritual we are inviting you to do this week, anytime, it can be in this moment, you can press pause or you can do it multiple times this week, is to share something on one of your social media posts, something reimagined, something that is not being held captive, but has left the building to do some really amazing disruptive peace. Share something that is not just peace, like a peaceful scene. We're not asking for that. It's not that simple, but rather disruptive peace on one of your social media platforms. And then we want you to put the hashtag, hashtag peace is disruptive. We hunger and thirst for God's reign. We participate in God's salvation on the earth when we refuse to give divine sanction to the status quo and the way things are, and instead prophetically imagine God's dream for a new humanity and a new society. We can begin living into that world right now, believing that God's liberation from death-dealing forces is able to break into our world, even amid this old order's persistence. It requires that we believe that another world and another way of relating to one another is possible. It requires that we lean into the kind of love, the kind of justice, the kind of empathy, the kind of shared belonging with others that is available in and through Christ. Amen. Amen. Next week, we will hear from Benjamin Reynolds on how he is being a witness as we discuss chapter four, Talking Back, Talking Black, Unveiling America's Sins and Its Myth of Exceptionalism. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Find us on Facebook at Black Forest Community Church, United Church of Christ, and message us to learn how you can be a part of this effort to tell stories have conversations, build relationships, and follow Jesus out of the church and into the world. To support our work, search for Black Forest Community Church on Venmo to make a one-time donation or a regular commitment with as little as $1 a month. You'll get regular communications and updates about our stories. Thank you to all those people that support and listen. We could not do this without you.